Welcome to Adventures in Podacy, a reflective road trip towards our wit's end. Pop in your favorite cassette tapes and come along for the ride as we discuss faith, culture, and all the ways we were bullied growing up in evangelicalism. This is recording. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Welcome, everyone, to Adventures in Podacy, the podcast that everyone has been begging us to start. And by everyone, I mean like 12 people on Claire's Instagram story. One of whom will no longer speak to us. (laughs) (laughs) Begging us not to start. We would like to dedicate this first episode to you. To you. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm Big Brown, a.k.a. Abby Brown. Um, I'm Medium Brown, but also the smallest brown. What's your name? Oh, I'm Emily. (laughs) (laughs) That one. (laughs) I am Little Debbie, or Little Brown. I'm Claire, the the youngest female of the family. There's a third, or a fourth one, but he'll never be here. The worst mic is also what she will be known by this episode. (laughs) All right. Let's not bully me, please. I had enough of that growing up. Speaking of, that's a good uh, transition into why we're doing this podcast. Um, We found that either us as like the, as a triad or like us individually tend to be people that our friends come to for like advice or to break down really nuanced subjects, which I don't know why. Cause we lack a lot of, <laughs> a lot of grace or a lot of, um, filters, but so we thought, why don't we just record some of our conversations? <laughs> the concept for the name of the podcast is, and Claire might not remember this as clearly as me and Emily do, but we used to go on road trips as a family a lot. Um, and whenever we started a road trip, we would always pop in cassette tapes um, and Adventures in Odyssey was like the go-to because my parents could listen to it. We could listen to it. We loved it. Um, and when I was trying to think of something that kind of was like a positive cultural artifact from evangelicalism, that's what popped into my mind, like Adventures in Odyssey. So kind of think of this as just a road trip with the Brown sisters talking about whatever the heck we want. Um, kind of just reflection on both our personal experiences and things we've learned along the way, as well as uh, research that we've done ourselves or kind of things that we've compiled. Yeah. I don't remember the last time the three of us were actually on a road trip with other people together for like longer than maybe an hour. And I think that's because it's just not possible anymore. Like I, I like every time we've gone on a trip, we've been in separate cars. And I think that's just the grace of God for the other people around us. Yeah, we definitely tend to gang up on people when we get passionate about something. Not in a negative way, but definitely in an overpowering way. So sometimes in a negative way. Um, And today's topic, I think, is the one that when people think of the Brown sisters, this is probably something they think about. um, Because we're very passionate about the topic of not shaming women. (laughs) So... Uh, having been shamed as women, we're very passionate about not shaming women. Um, Imagine that. Yeah. So you 
our listeners, our dear friends who are listening, you have the advantage of turning us off when you disagree with us, um, as opposed to if you are actually with us live. So take advantage of that when you need to um, and feel free to push back or shoot us a text or a message after you listen to this and be like, hey, I think you were totally wrong on this. Or, hey, I would like a little bit more clarification or elaboration on this topic. Mm -hmm. Let's have a a one on one conversation, because that's again, that's kind of what this is. This isn't a platform building exercise. None of us have a platform. This is just something to facilitate conversation for the good of the church and the life of the world. So yeah, yeah. if I'm going to build a platform, it won't be with my sisters, just so you guys know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bye. Um, a couple ground rules. We're not going to be swearing heavily on this podcast. I will be editing out swears, Claire. Um, <laughs> there will be, um, we do have, we will be using biologically accurate language, which is especially important to note today because we're talking about purity culture um, and some of the consequences that it's had on the sexual life of Christians. Um, I think we should also include a trigger warning to certain topics. Um, abuse will probably be discussed specifically in this mm-hmm. um, episode and probably in future episodes. So we will try our best to include trigger warnings where appropriate. Right. Yes. Just know that um, some of us have experienced um without you know giving it away too soon some of us have experienced pretty extensive trauma and that tends to come out in conversation so we try to put trigger warnings that where appropriate but sometimes it just slips out because it's a lived experience so but yeah claire i told emily that i wanted to name this episode of the podcast the most modest girls of the party because of I don't know if you remember this. I do. We'll we'll talk about it when we get to our anecdotal experiences. But today's episode is on a buzzword in the Christian community and in the deconstruction and evangelical community. And it's purity culture. Um, So, Emily, do you want to define purity culture for us, what we're talking about here? Yeah. So um, purity culture, I think you could define it a variety of ways, but primarily based on the resources um, that kind of led to the content of this podcast. Um, We're we're specifically referring to the um, period of time in the late, in the the 1990s to the early 2000s um, that uh, the extra biblical rituals and teachings of purity culture were particularly popular then. And these these teachings and rituals were designed to build safeguards and strongholds um, of sexual purity in Christian communities. And that last little bit um, specifically was uh, worded or, or inclu- uh, created by David French. Um, so when we're talking about purity culture, we're referring to um, that specific time period and also the teachings of that time period that have had a major trickle down effect. And the um, evangelical culture that we in particular grew up in obviously we were not teenagers in the 1990s and the early 2000s we were still children um but the people that are leaders in our churches and the people that were our mentors did grow up in that um in that time period and we're getting married mm-hmm. in that time period and we're pretty saturated in those teachings mm-hmm. um And some of those rituals include like purity pledges, purity balls, um, purity rings, courtship instead of dating, 
um, any kind of uh, contract pledge or commitment to uh, sexual purity um, or abstinence. So, yeah, that's a good definition. I think you touched on something when you said like abstinence, it's very abstinence heavy and Mm -hmm. sexual purity was never defined well by purity culture. Ironically, it was very much a focus on what to not do. Um, do not think this way, do not look this way, do not act this way, but there was never like a good set of rules, I guess. Yeah. Um, I want to, Tim Keller has had like several really interesting threads on like the, like Orthodox Christian ethic for the biblical ethic, the actual, like what we should be doing for sex and for marriage. Um, And then he also had several um, threads on charity culture because he was getting a lot of pushback from, I would, I believe most of them were like ex-evangelicals, you know, deconstructing people, Abigail's age, uh, you know, who grew up in that and were extremely hurt by that um, and are now rejecting any form of like abstinence or celibacy or like in whatever case, whether it is um, heterosexual or gay celibacy in Christianity, um, which is a whole other topic that I don't know enough about. But he said that sexual thoughts, most physical contact and sex outside of marriage were elevated to unforgivable sins. And I think that's where like most of the like emotional and like spiritual trauma happened is like when you're a teenager, like you're very hormonal, these things, like you're just going to like, that's what puberty is partially about is like learning about these things. And if you think that even like thinking about sex, it's lust. And that is like an unforgivable sin and suddenly you're tainted and like, you're going to be walking down like you're on your wedding day as like a damaged person. That's extremely traumatizing for people. And so I thought his definition of that was extremely helpful. And he also like pinpoints specifically, I kissed dating goodbye as a major proponent of purity mm-hmm. culture, which as we should all know, the author of that was my age when he wrote it. So how old you know, are you? I- what how old are you now oh I'm 20 I think he was 20 or 21 when he wrote it and I should not be writing a book now like about dating that's just the dumbest thing I could think of um and at this point he has abandoned I believe the faith he's abandoned that book um as in the theology he holds to and I'm sure he abandoned his wife (laughs) well that's that's strong language we'll give him the benefit of the doubt they they separated I think because he left the faith um and he, the book is out of print, and he actually did a whole documentary before he um, deconverted, basically discussing yeah. the harm that his book did, which I thought was yeah. a responsible thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I wish a lot of Christians who have written similar things would do the same thing. Which, what are some other Christian authors who really endorse this idea of purity culture? I think we were talking about one the other day, Emily, right? Mm. <laughs> were we? Captivating. Oh. Captivating. Captivating. Oh, yeah. So, or is it captivating um, or captivated? Captivating. Um, yeah. So, that one is written, I believe uh, the wife's name is Stacy Eldridge. Uh, but it's so you have Captivating, which is written by Stacy Eldridge. And then you have Wild at Heart, which is written by John Eldridge. Um, and those are very popular books, even among people, you know, like, like my peers are still, you know, they probably read those books in high school and um, like still hold to those books as like having a significant impact on 
their view of their femininity or masculinity. And um, yeah, so yeah, I would say those are two pretty popular books. They're not, I don't think they're as explicitly purity culture related as maybe I Kiss Dating Goodbye, but there are definitely still messages in there that perpetuate the purity culture message. Um, if, if not necessarily in those explicit physical ways, like obviously don't have sex before marriage, you know, um, don't, you know, like this is, these are the do's and don'ts of how to interact physically with the opposite sex, but definitely in the emotional sense, like the whole concept of not giving your heart away. And when you give your heart away, when you become too seriously emotionally involved with another person, whether you're dating or not, you are basically cutting a slice out of your heart cake and you 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 oh, have I hate that analogy. Oh. to offer your spouse um i remember that like as a teenager just like being told constantly to guard my heart and to not not give too much of my heart away to to any particular boy um so i think it definitely um if it doesn't if it doesn't contain as much content regarding the physical side of things definitely the emotional side of purity culture is pretty Probably, at least in captivating. I have not read Wild at Heart, but I can imagine since it's aimed at men, it probably has more of the physical side of things in that book as well. So. Um, I want to say I um, am a big McKay's fan. Um, I don't know if McKay's exists outside of Tennessee, but um, I think there's a few I, in South Carolina. Yeah, I'm a big McKay's fan. We all are. And I also work in a thrift store at the moment. And Wild at Heart and Captivating and is like constantly donated and it is constantly on our shelves. And I have found several copies of I Kiss Dating Goodbye and I've found several copies of um, Every Man's Battle, which we'll probably talk about more later. Um, so I think it just, it makes me laugh and then I've kind of wanted to take it and throw it off, throw it into the trash. But I think people often read those books and later on find them just not helpful at all um, and toss them. But I don't actually know anyone who's read every um, Wild at Heart, um, but we probably do. It's definitely something that came out, I think, definitely before you kind of entered adulthood. Um, I have some friends oh, yeah. who've read it because I'm six years older than you. But yeah, um, yeah, I there's like I, I've so the book that's kind of dominating the discussion right now around purity culture and in a good way is um oh crap what's it called <laughs> talking back to purity culture sorry by rachel welcher which is such an excellent read and i highly recommend it to everyone i've read it emily is reading it claire's not read it yet but i'm so sorry rachel <laughs> it's such a good and it's what i appreciate her as about her as well is that she has such she takes all of these books like we're here kind of crapping all over these authors and these books because that's just our negative nature. But Rachel does such a good job of speaking in good faith and trying to give the authors the benefit of the doubt and calling out things that were good in those books where applicable, which is very difficult to do sometimes. But um, she has she talks a lot about a book specifically that I've never read, but just the title itself. It's called The Bride Wore White, which just that title in and of itself, I think, is everything you need to know about the purity culture movement and the idea that virginity is idolized and that um, the idea of sexual purity, whatever that means, became 
an idol and marriage became an idol or is an idol for a lot of people, um, young Christians growing up. And yeah, so I, (laughs) great read, highly recommend if you take anything away from this podcast, if you're already about to turn it off, please go read that book. I have it if you want to borrow it. Um, But let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the consequences of what we saw come out of purity culture um, and some of the stereo or some of the stereotypes. Let's start there. Some stereotypes that people think of when they think of purity culture. And if you're not really in, if you're not in circles of people who are quote unquote deconstruction, deconstructing, which I'd like to point out that the three of us are not, um, (laughs) we are not deconstructing, but we definitely run in circles where people are. You might not realize that these are purity culture stereotypes and you might be like, um, that's what I grew up in. And I had a, I had a great experience. And if you did, that's awesome. And I'm really proud of you. Congratulations, bestie. Like you did it. Um, but these are some <laughs> purity culture stereotypes that uh, a lot of people who are kind of revisiting their faith or deconstructing their faith or leaving their faith have found very harmful. So um, youth group culture. Mm. Mm. Let's you want to talk about this one because I'm the youth. Yeah, you're the youth. Um, so I think it's very helpful to point out first of all, that the church that we grew up in, that we are no longer um, part of. um, And that was a long time of just slipping away, sibling by sibling, um, Mm -hmm. over a course of like six, seven years, basically, um, was we did not have a strong youth group. I believe that there was a gap of several years after Abby had like a pretty strong youth group and there was like every now and then people would start one back up for like and it would die. Huh? For like 18 months. <laughs> yeah. So it was very short lived. Um and so that was that did create like a bit really big hole for us and we sought out um discipleship and you know Christian friends and other circles which I think ended up leading us even into more bad theology totally outside of purity culture. Um but when I was, I believe, a sophomore or junior in high school, um, the church decided to bring in um, youth leaders. And, and it was really contentious. Um, and a lot of the youth weren't happy about it um, because they didn't bring anyone from the church up into that position. Um, and there was people who were really qualified and wanted to do it. They instead brought in people um, that no one knew um, who I don't remember what ministry they were through which is probably good. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to get slapped with like a lawsuit. Um, but they had met at like this ministry. Um, and the husband, I believe was from Puerto Rico. Um, and they were super friendly and it was an interesting direction for the church to take. But I remember suddenly getting like slapped with kind of a lot of like rules and it kind of felt like going to school. Um, and I remember one day I was talking to one of my friends, um, and I, I wonder if she remembers this, but she was telling me that the youth leader, um, the girl, I, I don't remember their names. The wife. She had said, yeah, she had said like, uh, my friend was wearing like a really cute, trendy, like off the shoulder top. Um, and mind you, we're 15, 16, I believe. Um, most of us can't drive. And the wife had literally said to, uh, to her, hey, like in the future, I don't think we should be wearing like anything that shows our shoulders at church. It's just really distracting for the guys. Um, And that was just really 
really odd to us. And she at the time went to a private school. I was homeschooled, but I went um, to like a homeschool co-op where we had a really strict dress code. And both of us were like, okay, most days of the week we have to fall, we have to cover our shoulders. And I like, does God really care about our shoulders that much? And then um, fast forward a couple months, we were at a um, church event. I think it was just like a lunch. And my friend and I were sharing a chair. Um, and they told us that girls should not sit in each other's laps, share chairs, hold hands, anything. And I'm a pretty affectionate person. People often don't realize that because I have an abrasive personality, but I'm pretty affectionate. <laughs> and, um, so the hearing that I was just stunned. And the only thing I could respond was that, um, a few months before at, the, at summer camp, I had heard a like seminar on, um, LGBTQ issues and the pastor who was teaching it, who I really, really respect, uh, differentiated between like same sex attraction and same sex affection and told us like there is a healthy way to go about same sex affection that like we all need. And he pointed out that as like Americans, we're very like love and affection starved and even touch starved. Um, and so I just regurgitated like that, like same sex affection is okay, right back to the leader. And I don't think she was really happy with that. But that became a catchphrase for several months between me and my friends was same sex affection is okay. And then we would always tagline like pastor X said it. Um, and he wasn't even a pastor at our church, which was um, probably an issue for some people. So it was just a lot of extra biblical rules that didn't make sense and tr just shutting down normal teenage things. And um, yeah, I, I think I think you guys have seen more youth gr group culture because a lot more of your friends were involved in youth groups versus mine. Um, I didn't have friends growing up, so this Fair. might be more of an Emily. I I could probably speak more to the Christian college aspect, but Emily, do you want to jump in? Yeah, is this is my mic still being funny? Yes. It, I think it's a mic, mic itself issue because you're not moving, but it, it's going in and out. Awesome. Okay, cool. Good, good. Um, that is very good to hear. Do you have anything to contribute in terms of, do you want to talk about, Emily, our um, counter user? <laughs> oh, man. I just, I completely forgot about that. Wow. Repression. So, man, so many ironies in in that uh in that yeah so abigail and i were a part of um a it was more like a small group a mixed gendered large small group um at our school that was not affiliated with any particular church um it was led by um a couple different couples while we were there um yeah I remember a typical Tuesday night would probably look like Little Caesars Pizza, as every good youth group, regardless of denomination, would enjoy and partake of. Um, and then it would have an icebreaker game. Hmm. And then we would discuss, uh, or there would be some kind of like teaching. I never remembered, like, what did they center around? Like, was there like a theme or like a series we went through? But anyways. There was that. Um, and then it'd be a time of prayer afterwards. Um, but yeah, the school had a dress code that was, you know, pretty, pretty in line with a lot of the modesty standards of purity culture. Um, I remember 
whenever there was discussion of um, interaction between the sexes, um, there what you were definitely required to um, to listen well and also follow their advice. <laughs> um, but the irony of that is that you know there would be discussion of like how not to give your heart away and like how you were supposed to follow these like you know these these general rules or principles for dating or having special friendships or courting or whatever. But then you would also do these really awkward um, icebreaker games with like people of the opposite sex, like with dropping lots ice of cubes, touching, lots of touching, dropping ice cubes down the back of people's shirts, like. Um, so yeah, so there was just some confusing mixed messages, I feel like, that mm-hmm. were pretty evident in that, that group. We like, I remember the ice cube game because I was so uncomfortable about it because it literally, like, they, they basically were just like, everyone, if you're sitting next to someone, it didn't matter if it was a guy or girl, like, the, the goal was to drop an ice cube down the back of your shirt and, and the other person catches it and then drops it down the back of someone else, the person who's sitting in front of them. And how fast can they go around? So that's uncomfortable because yeah. it requires pulling away at people's clothing. And then also, like, you have musical chairs, which kind of turned basically into a lot of lap sitting, right? Yeah. Um, and then I'm sure there's other stuff, too, like – everyone's favorite, like the not the human not game where you grab each other's hands and you basically squish together as close as you can and try to untangle yourselves, which that game itself is not sexual in nature. And I'm not saying that's a bad game. Like I, we work at a kid, we work at a summer camp. Um, and we run a summer camp, I should say. <laughs> um, and so this, we play that game quite often, but to preach about, you know, limiting contact and guarding your heart and all this stuff. And then to push all of the females into the middle of a human knot is just, it is mixed messages. That's a good way to put it. I mean, in in addition to that too, it was, there was also this sense of like, you need to create strong spiritual relationships with people in this group, but at the same time, don't give your heart away to anyone in the group. Um, So. So have really good, strong spiritual relationships with your peers, but also be sure to never be vulnerable or give away any part of yourself to these people because then you have less to offer your spouse. Mm-hmm. So how, how as a 14, 15-year-old, am I supposed to make sense of that? And that's just the emotional aspect. That's not even yeah. like the sexual or physical aspect. Exactly. Because I think I, it's important to remember like purity culture affected all three of those things, your physical relationship in terms of kissing and holding hands, your emotional like health, like how much of your heart have you given away? And then also of course is your sexuality. Like if you give away your sexuality to someone else Mm -hmm. that, that turns you into damaged goods. Yeah. I think that's a common thread that I've seen in youth group culture. I attended a couple different youth groups throughout high school. um, And then I think I'm thinking distinctly of, a couple of our friends who are involved in a youth group that had a, a very strong kind of culture around it. And um, that was, that was the, it was the mixed messages of like, I, I am, I'm thinking specifically of like the youth group meme where it's like, don't make purple. Cause like boys are blue, girls are pink, don't make purple. But when mm-hmm. you suddenly just, ex- I think it's just the expectation that these kids are going to be just super 
hormonal and like you don't respect like that at all of like as a natural process and you just lump all these kids together and then you preach at them like stay pure don't give your heart away don't touch each other but also we're gonna put you in buses for 12 hours we're gonna put you in summer camps for four weeks we're going to um, put you in emotionally charged situations and expect you to do the right thing and so it was a lot I I just consistently saw a lot of mixed messages and then weird things like I'm thinking specifically of a couple people where the girls weren't like allowed to date but the boys had like five girlfriends um you know throughout or, like or a not couple years. special friends well a lot of them were like they had labels they were like allowed to do that but the girls weren't um which it was just an interesting um uh what's the word it was it was very ironic to me um and I never really understood that and um I have a couple I think my personal antidote will probably be about one youth group that I went to um specifically but yeah if y'all want to start hitting Christian college culture because I don't know that yeah Claire goes to UTK um yeah I will just say bouncing kind of off of those two things again we're not condemning obviously putting mixed genders on the same bus like that is so <laughs> or making purple i think what the we're solution to the problem is not segregating the sexes yeah just right. to be clear this we're, we're more condemning the sexualization of friendships mm-hmm. and the normal teenage experience while yeah. also preaching a, a, a message that very much puts a a burden on individuals to, sorry, choked, puts the burden on individuals to basically not experience. I don't know. Is it, is it too far for me to say that not experience normal biological reactions? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is that like, too bad? like I, I, I've, I'll be bl- t- totally blunt. Like when you, when like as a teenager, you experienced that or like, you were like, Oh my gosh, like all of a sudden I'm just super into this one specific person. Like I would often feel just very awash with guilt mm, because yeah. I was like, I am the girl who does not do that. I'm like the best Christian in my friend group, which I mean, maybe that was true sometimes, but also I was a giant Pharisee and still am often. But like, I would often feel so awash with guilt that I even found myself interested in someone because I was like too young or like I wasn't focused on the Lord enough. And that just mm-hmm. makes absolutely no sense because I was often put like, I, I did theater. And so when you're with these right. people for hours and hours a day, oh and my suddenly, God. like, of course, and you're exhausted and you're also 15. And your adrenaline like, is just pumping. Yeah. Oh. I, I just, I like, of course, like that emotion of just being attracted to someone is going to happen. And I just felt awash with guilt. But if you were in theater with me, don't think this is about you also. <laughs> so I think, I think what, um, I think what, what we've reached from that part of the discussion is we were told not to feel these things. We were, or we were not, we were told not to feel these things. We were put in situations where we, we would experience these things and then we would not be given tools to combat that. So yeah. if we felt a strong rush of attraction to someone, or if we felt even a temptation to something physical, like if that was offered to us, we weren't told how to combat that. We were basically just told to push it down, put it away and lock it up. And it's like, that is, and that is how accidental pregnancies happen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Amen. 
Not, not that I've ever been accidentally pregnant. <laughs> That's not even a jump because that literally, like, the amount of people in our circles who got pregnant off of their first part, like, uh, boyfriend or girl, well, boyfriend, but you know what I mean, was is astronomical. Because <laughs> the minute they're given a chance or an opportunity, they do not have the to be intimate with someone or to have like an actual relationship with someone. They do not have the tools to, to live a strong Christian ethic. They're basically just like, turn it on or turn it off. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about Christian culture, Christian college culture too much, except that um, the college that me and Emily went to um, was very much kind of like a elevated youth group. <laughs> in the way that it treated um, dress code. So I remember when I was a freshman, I came in in 2014 and they, it was a huge deal that they were now allowing girls to wear leggings. And this was, I don't, I don't know if you two remember, but back in the 20, 2013 to 2015 ish, there was like every Christian female blogger and male blogger sadly <laughs> were writing about leggings and yoga pants. And if they were sinful and if they were making people stumble and it was a huge deal that the college we were going to was allowing us to wear leggings. The catch was you had to wear a shirt that came over your butt and reached the middle of your thighs, mm-hmm. um, basically covering all of your rear. And there was a lot of other, um, which, you know, we're not here to discuss leggings and yoga pants because that is such like a small blip on the radar of our mm-hmm. lives. Uh, but it definitely presented this idea that um, your it is your responsibility to make sure nobody looks at your butt. And it is your responsibility to make sure that no one looks at you and, and, and lusts after you. Mm-hmm. And I, that really hit home for me later um, when I, my best friend became student body president and she told me one of the rules also was that we could not wear shorts in class. Um, and it was always kind of expressed to us as a professionalism thing. Um, mm-hmm. and then she came to me and told me that it was because male professors said that females with shorts were a distraction in class. And I think that kind of told me all I needed mm-hmm. to know about why we had certain standards of dress code. Huh. And, it's probably also not a coincidence. I, never mind. That's a whole different conversation. But um, this 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 institution had a history, had an incident where they um, covered up a, an act of abuse in the name of saving someone's good name. Um, obviously, it was a it was a male professor, and that when you link that to some of the discussion around the dress code that happened at higher levels there, not only did it make me feel not only does did it push this idea of like shame, but it also made me feel distinctly unsafe. <laughs> yeah. I think even, I mean, you know, you mentioned that, you know, that, that comment from this, this incident, you know, and these, these memories from, you know, 2014, 2015. Um, but even in 2020, I remember uh, I was an intern for a department in our, uh, at our school, um, it was part of our like student life department, and the other interns and the grad- graduate assistant that worked with me were all women. And the director of our program was a man. Um, and 
yeah, so I just worked in an office all day primarily with women. And, like, we just vibed all day long. Like, just had a great time. And I remember there was a day where one of our meetings ran over um, past business hours. And our office was in one of the main buildings on campus. And I remember sitting on the floor with the other interns. Um, and that we so our office was also notoriously cold year round. So every one of the interns had a blanket that they kept in the closet. And so at this meeting in particular, it was freezing in there. We were literally shivering. We all had our respective blankets sitting crisscross applesauce on the floor having this meeting. And a um, a woman that works in one of the other offices opens our door, peeks in um, and says, Hey, I just wanted to say that um, it looks really weird that you guys are all sitting on the floor together. Um, it's, you know, that makes people uncomfortable. And the girls I was working with just like had no idea what to say. Um, the, like, I just, to me personally, I was like, why in the world? Like, what is, what is going on in your head that you also she was like a secretary? I just wanted to yeah. point out, she wasn't like any, there was no way that your jobs did not overlap in the slightest. No. What, not whatsoever. <laughs> she worked um, in like some academic department. And I just was so uncomfortable with the fact that what she was insinuating was that there was, she was sexualizing that, that instance. Mm-hmm. And it was so uncomfortable. Um, and I was so confused as to why, why she felt the need to come in and say that to a bunch of students that number one are adults and number two that she doesn't know and doesn't have a relationship with. Um, Mm -hmm. I totally would have understood if it was during business hours and it was more of a professional thing. Um, And, you know, like, Hey, it's not like the most professional appearance. If anyone wanted to like was coming on a tour and wanted to come by the office, I totally understand that. But being after hours, um, the only people in this room are women. There's also five people in here. It's not like it's just two people. Um, and the, like, it's just, it's just so interesting to me that something that quite literally was so innocent as a bunch of women collaborating on something that we really cared about and really loved. And we're investing a lot of time in like to the point where we were staying after hours to finish what we were doing um, to her appeared as something that could be sexual. Um, and I think that just showed me even, even like that was probably about 10 months ago, but to me that spoke volumes to, to how, we viewed the college viewed relationships, not just among mm-hmm. people of the opposite sex, but even of, of the same sex and how intimacy is just, again, it's that double standard of you should be so intimate with your peers. Like we should be building these, these relationships and is a family and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, don't be too intimate with people of the, of the opposite sex or people of the same sex, because intimacy is going to be necessarily sexualized. Mm-hmm. And that to me just is, disappointing yeah um (laughs) there's so many things that we could unpack from that experience and i also the reason that we're doing this is not to again i don't want to i want to make it clear that the reason we're, we're doing this is not to crap all over the schools that we have gone to or the people that we who have taught us in the past or the churches we have been a part of the reason we're doing this is to demonstrate how deeply entrenched in religious culture this idea of of purity culture is, right? Mm -hmm. So like 
I can say necessarily without condemning, without condemning the institution that I went to, I can say like purity culture was like written into student life contracts and handbooks. And it, it affected every staff member essentially. And it, you know, and it has roots going back probably further than the nineties, you know, 30 to 40 years, I would say. I was at post-sexual revolution is kind of when we started to see this idea really kind of um, those ideas really take root in religious culture. Mm-hmm. And the people who run, who ran those institutions, whether it was the school that we went to, Emily, or whether it was the youth groups you went to, Claire, these people are deeply entrenched in these ideas to the point, And they don't. And honestly, I wouldn't I would say most of them don't even know it. Most of them think that these ideas that they're perpetuating are biblical because it is mm-hmm. biblical. I want to call out the truth that's in the lie. It is biblical that God has a sexual ethic word to adhere to, right? It is right. It is common sense that you can dress in ways that whether you're dressing consciously or not, that people that may make people think sexually of you, right? It's mm-hmm. that, That's just common sense. You don't even need the Bible for that. We, it is biblical to say Christians are called to a certain standard of modesty, both in appearance and behavior, mm-hmm. but it is not biblical to sexualize intimacy. It is not biblical to only sexualize women and their interactions with others. It is not biblical to put the burden of keeping others above board on only women or only men, if we're going to flip the switch on that one. Like those things are not biblical. Those things are not, should not be a part of our (laughs) Christian culture. And yet they are. And so again, the discussion we're having here is not to rain hellfire on these institutions or these people, but to call out these things that we see and to also maybe extend a hand of, Hey, we also see those of you who have suffered under these rules and regulations, especially women. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we each had room. We're going to move into consequences of purity culture um, and which that will be like probably the biggest trigger warning. If you all need to tune out, um, we'll be talking about abuse and sexual dysfunction. Um, but first kind of maybe want to jump into this whole thing has obviously been filled with personal anecdotes, but um, <laughs> let's just cap off with a, with a good strong one each. So All Claire, right. do you want to start? Sure. Um, so my, the, at the end of high school, I left my parents' church um, for several reasons. Um, and I started attending another local church. It was a Baptist church. Um, and we knew the pastor pretty well. So I actually really trusted. Have um, you all seen that TikTok of the as part of the Baptist <laughs> church? <laughs> I have. Part of the Baptist church. Okay, sorry. Um, I'm trying anyway, to say relevant. I am no longer Baptist. Um, I, but <laughs> I attended that church. Um, I started attending the youth group primarily because at the summer camp that I worked at, a lot of their middle school girls attended and I got to work with them a lot. And um, I just saw a pretty big need for there to be more like girls my age investing in them. So I started going to the youth group um, and the pastor was actually very heavily involved in the youth group, which that shocked me because at my old church, that would have never happened. Um, And he came and now I see he was coming as kind of theological oversight to make sure false things weren't taught because I think that was a risk in the past with the past youth leaders. Good for him. Um, Good for him. And, and I, and I very, very deeply respect this pastor um, and his family. His wife was really involved. She would come and do games and bless her heart because 
I would never want to do that. I didn't want to play the games. I usually didn't. Um, but I started going, I believe I was a junior and my senior year, um, they went through Song of Solomon. And I, I haven't told either of you this story, actually, I don't think. Um, at least not in full. So they I heard Solomon. about the, I heard about this a little bit in like camp interviews from yeah. some people. Yeah. And um they had gone through this like program before and so they just had us watch videos and then talk about it and like they had handouts. And like the videos were fine. I think the only thing I remember is in the video, um, and I want to say it was Josh McDowell and his dad. I don't remember his dad's name, but Josh McDowell was, I think, like a big youth group. Like, like they produce a lot of stuff for like youth groups, or they did maybe in the like early 2000s, 2010. Um, but I think the only thing in the videos that really struck me was like, um, he's like, guys, you know, when you take your girl on a date, don't kiss her. <laughs> I was sitting there like, and I was looking at one of my friends because I knew she had been in a relationship for a couple of years. And I was like, hmm, is that, is that how y'all operate in this relationship? Because at the time I was not in a relationship, but I didn't think I would be following that uh, quite closely. Um, but overall the videos were fine. The handouts were fine. And then it came to like the final, like, and they didn't split the guys and the girls up for this, which was really interesting. We just all watched videos together and like all the, I was the oldest person there. So it was kind of awkward because there was like 13 year olds in there. But, you know, um, everyone just avoided making eye contact with each other. Um, but then they finally had um, the boys and the girls split off. Um, and all the boys were significantly younger. They were the oldest one who went consistently was maybe 16. Um, and he wasn't there often. Um, so they were all pretty young. And then it was I was the oldest girl. And then my friend who was a year younger than me was other oldest. Um, and so we split off and it was about basically modesty it wasn't even about telling us not to have sex because they were like they've heard enough about that um you know Fair. we've already talked about like the foxes in the garden or whatever blah 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 um wow. and um so they were talking about modesty and I remember her saying that she took her two daughters um to a conference thing that was about purity and how the woman who was running it gave them like standards for dressing of your shorts and your skirt should hit like mid-thigh at least, but you want them to be at your knees. You don't want to wear things that are sleeveless very often. Um, like As, there was as me and Claire wear sleeveless shirts while we record this podcast. Yeah. And, and then I just distinctly remember her saying, and then she had a really helpful rule that I use most days myself, where if you put your hand on your chest and like your, your index finger right under your collarbone, if your shirt doesn't reach your pinky, that's nasty. Like, and that was the phrasing, that's nasty. And she said it in like a funny, like Southern woman voice. Um, so like people laughed, but I was sitting there and I was like, like, it's just that feeling of being a wash of shame again. And, and then they started talking about leggings. And I like in that moment felt like I had to apologize for wearing something that they would have viewed as tempting to their 13 year old boys. Some of whom were like my, one of whom was like my friend's younger sibling. Some of whom were like my like those middle school girls, like their siblings is very strange. And so just hearing like, that's nasty. I was like, Oh my gosh. And, um, we ended up and we talked a little more and I just had to say, like, I really think that I, I was like, I don't know what they're telling the boys right now, but I really hope that they're impressing upon them that it's their responsibility to, um, control, like not control themselves, but to not view women as just um, objects that like will tempt them. 
and I still hear her saying like that's nasty like whenever I think about this and it makes me so frustrated because um and I just I was just so upset because she had two daughters and one of them was in a relationship and I knew and I just you know the struggles that come up when you're in a relationship in high school and and, and into college now and I just I wonder what impact that has and I tried to impress upon those girls like the younger ones that I worked with a little bit later that like they are precious and they're made in the image of God and like they do not have to view themselves as stumbling blocks because it first of all in the Bible a stumbling block is not mentioned about modesty at all it's mentioned about eating uh meat so <laughs> But yeah, that's my personal antidote. Um, and it didn't happen very long ago and leggings were still involved. So that's how far some youth groups have come. Not very far. Mm. Wow. That, mm, I just have to say that. That's nasty. That's nasty. Again, I want to reiterate because I know that we are often, often rightly accused of being overly negative and like, not nice people. And again, I want to reiterate that this conversation is happening because we love the church and we mm-hmm. love her people. And we also love the lost or the people who have left the church. Mm-hmm. And we want to create an environment where people do not feel like their bodies are stumbling blocks. So um, I, I can go next. Um, Cause mine is not, I, I mean, honestly, like I don't have a ton of anecdotes with this because I was fat growing up and I <laughs> I would swim in like shorts and a t-shirt. Like I did not have any problems with modesty growing up. Um, and I was also bullied by my sisters for the way I looked. Uh, <laughs> that is just not no, Literally one time I wore shorts to school and Emily like looked at my legs in front of everyone. All of like, I was very insecure and she goes, you have the ugliest legs I've ever seen. So I was like, I am never wearing shorts again. I just basically have an image of Emily at school in my head that ended up in the yearbook and it's her old, like half wearing a sweatshirt with like an earbud in and she looks absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. So you have no room to talk, to talk young lady. Yeah. Just like well, to publicly apologize for who I was then and for saying that to you. Well, that you were probably bullied as well. So <laughs> no, no Emily problem. Brown is a lesbian. <laughs> okay. That's another story that we'll talk about on a completely different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That will not ever be recorded. But so my story is we went to a friend's, was it their birthday party or their graduation party? It was a graduation party. Graduation party. So I think I had already graduated high school. I think I was a year into college. I think you Mm were. Yeah, still a little, still fat. I didn't lose weight until sophomore year of college. Um, But I, I swam. I don't think I brought a swimsuit. I think I just had like shorts on me and like a t-shirt and I, or I borrowed them from my friend. And so I swam in shorts and a t-shirt and Emily was wearing. I was. I didn't have a swimsuit. I was yeah, wearing, neither of us had swimsuits. I came in. Yes. So we know, <laughs> you know how that happens. All the, you're like, oh, we're gonna swim. And it's like, well, can I just borrow some clothes? So we, um, everyone else came prepared, and all of the girls. We were with a bunch of soccer girls um, who you could uh, like. They're just comfortable in their bodies and comfortable around the guys they were around because they were all teammates. And, um, so the girls are in bikinis. Um, the guys are in swim trunks. People are playing volleyball. There's a lot of skin out, but it's like, 
it's appropriate I, I, for the context. I guess I probably wouldn't have played volleyball in a bikini just because of, you know, security measures. But <laughs> like if you're strapped in and ready to go, that's good. Then that's probably fine. Um, but there were, there was someone there who was, was she actually there? Emily? I think she was there. Yeah. yeah I don't know why she was there. I think probably cause she had to drive her son there. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably. This woman was there who had a role in teaching us. She was one of the leaders of the youth group at the at our school that I had previously mentioned. She and yes. her husband were the leaders. Yes. I, I'm trying not to be too specific, but I realized I just don't care at this point. Um, she <laughs> saw everybody and didn't say anything. Um, I guess she dropped her son off, who was probably 15, 16. I don't know. Um, but she told our mom later. She was like, I just want to really thank you. First of all, she told our mom this, which is weird. Um, <laughs> I really want to thank you. Um, I dropped my son off at these people's party and you got like your daughters were the most modestly dressed there. And I just, for, for the sake of my son, I want to thank you. I don't think her son had any problem with uh, the girls in bikinis. <laughs> Based off of his later revealed browser history yeah um you can believe that if you want no (laughs) that i that was first of all just incredibly demeaning like to all of the women there who were not wearing shorts and a and a a t-shirt to swim in second of all as a girl i basically heard that as thank you for being the frumpiest person at the party (laughs) yeah like thank you for being so unattractive that you Basically, just made sure that my son didn't look at you at all. Which Emily, is that true? Is that oh okay? So no, we 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 were talking about this last night because I was like, hey, Abby, what's your antidote? I, I don't want I don't want you to out the other person, but no, I no no no. But it was just interesting to me because so the the aforementioned female um that 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 sent my mom this message, um. Her son and I had a very complicated history. Um, and at this point, he was very notorious for being very open about how attractive he thought a variety of women were. Um, and so I just distinctly remember, like, after hearing that she had sent that message, like, being uncomfortable with the fact that she was so pleased that we were so different from everyone else there. Um like me wearing shorts and a t-shirt was not something I was proud of. That was a practical decision. I would have worn a swimsuit if I'd had one. Um, and it would have definitely been a bikini. So <laughs> just, just putting that out there. Um, I felt anyways, anyways, um, but that, that decision, like the shorts and shirt decision did not protect you. Exactly. And I, and that's what I was going to say is I know. So our complicated history it's complicated primarily because he abused me for a couple of years. Um, and, and that was happening during this time frame. And her saying that your, your daughter's wearing shorts and a t-shirt protected my son. Wearing shorts and a t-shirt did not protect me. Um, if, if anyone was going to lust after me at that party, it didn't matter if I was wearing a bikini or if I was wearing a full sweatsuit in a pool. Um, mm. That was not going to protect me whatsoever from being the object of her son's lust and I just remember being so confused like 
is there nothing I can do as a woman that legitimately makes me feel good about myself, but also makes me feel like I'm like, I don't need to be ashamed or I don't need to, 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 to be worried that my body is being sexualized by, by people who are literally younger than I am. Yeah. Maybe, maybe flip the script on them and try swimming in leggings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine the chafing? Do you guys know uh, those onesies that like became really popular when we were in high school that people would just wear all the time? Like, let's start swimming in those, guys. Like, yep. let's, let's start that. Um, do you remember what mom's reaction to the message was? Because I remember hearing this, but I don't remember what mom's reaction was. I remember mom distinct. I remember having a conversation with mom in the kitchen like the next day or something. And our mom was literally like, freaking don't care what my kids wear to pools like like if y'all had had a swimsuit i hope you would have worn it like she was just i think she did say that verbatim i think she was just so confused as like i like i am not proud of my daughter's modesty like i'm proud of my daughters for being like like people that are people of substance um you're so much like my pride in you goes well beyond what what apparently this woman <laughs> thinks I should yeah. be proud of. So, um, I remember mom and I went on a beach trip by ourselves a few years ago because you guys were already in school and I didn't have any friends. Um, and then like later on in high school, um, basically I had a couple, but um, she took me to the beach and I remember it rained the entire time. So basically, all we did was shop and go to the movies, but it was actually a really good time. Um, and one day we went shopping we got forever 21 and I was trying and like, this is when like bandeau tops were really trendy. Um, oh, no. And I remember looking at one on a mannequin being like, that's really cute. But like, I couldn't wear that. And mom was like, yeah, you could. And then, and I was like, th- like there was a kind of a shift in like the, in, in the vibe. And then <laughs> I, later on, I tried on a really, really cute dress that I'm actually, I literally just donated it um, because I haven't worn it in a while. Um, but it was a wrap dress and it was black and it was like a little, it wasn't super low cut and you could like adjust it to make it like, a, like how you wanted it. Cause it was a wrap dress, but it was pretty short. And I came out and I was like, mom, it's pretty short. Like I'm not super tall, but I have abnormally long legs. Like they just kind of go on for a long time. And mom was like, no, I love it on you. It's super cute. Like it's short. So you can't wear it to school, but like, you know, get it. And I just realized in that moment that my mother didn't view me as like something to like cover or like, like protect in that way. You weren't a and, pair of legs or like yeah. a set of boobs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will never be a set of boobs. Unfortunately, I, I don't have that capability unless <laughs> someone wants to give me a few thousand dollars. Um, but I just realized in that moment that my mother viewed me as not a temptation to other people. And I really liked that. And I remember too, I don't think our dad has ever, ever commented on the way we've dressed. And we've wear, worn some pretty questionable things. I'm pretty sure, years. like, the standard for dressing as a kid, because the only place we went was church, was um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we could wear, we were never aler- allowed to wear the same dress two weeks in a row. Yeah. And so that was the standard of modesty, was just keep it interesting, kids. Yeah. <laughs> and we didn't wear pants to church for a long time. But True. I think that's just that wasn't that was modesty. That was, yeah. like... That was, that was mom, I invested a lot of money in these dresses and you will be wearing them whether you want to or not. Yeah. And, and so I'm really thankful for how our parents treated us, like in terms of dress. I remember I, I went to a junior senior banquet that I had to plan. Um, and I wore 
like a dress that had a really low cut back and dad just was like you look so like beautiful and grown up and I was scared that he was going to tell me that it was like slutty and he didn't and I was just really thankful for that and so good job mom and dad good job on that um Emily did you want to share uh I know that I kind of like we shared that swimsuit experience but did you have anything else to share before we moved on to consequences yeah I mean we're we're over an hour in oh god I think that's that's you know, we, we share that personal anecdote. I'd say the only thing I would even add to that was just, there were multiple experiences with this same woman that it was just so mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. where like lots of modesty conversations. I remember one time I was told I had to go home from school because I was wearing leggings with a dress that went down to my knees. And, um, I remember being told that what I was wearing was against the rules. It was inappropriate. This was also legitimately my own mother's outfit. I had borrowed my mom's outfit to wear to school. Um, this was when I was a sophomore in high school and I was told I had to drive to Walgreens and buy a different pair of pants. I think you were, so, were you a sophomore? I think you were a junior. Cause I was not there. Cause I, I would have beat, beat somebody up. Yeah. I think I was a junior. So I was probably 16, almost 17 at this time. So I had to go to the Walgreens, um, at the corner of happy and healthy Right down the road, and they mm. the only pants they had at that time were fleece pajama pants. So I had to like legitimately wear fleece pajama pants for the rest of the day. Um, and this was also like a couple of days after I found out my great grandmother died. So I just walked around tear stained in my fleece pajama pants for the rest of the day, yeah. and repeatedly was asked why I had to change clothes, and repeatedly had to respond. I was told I was dressed in modesty today. So. <laughs> The dress code there, I have a lot of distinct memories of girls, like, coming in. And, like, it, we started pretty early, like, in the morning. And if you were on student council, you had to be there at, like, 7.30. Or if you did anything else, you had to be there super early. And a lot of people, like, drove for at least 20 to 30 minutes. Um, so people didn't live close to this place. Because it wasn't just a random, I'm not, I can't say that word, but just random part of Nashville. And, um, I remember girls every day, like I would see girls walking around with tape all over their jeans. Like, even if your skin didn't show through, you couldn't have a distressed part of your jeans because it might rip enough that you could see your thigh. So girls would walk around with tape all over their jeans. Um, and I think the only time that I ever got dress coded is I wore dad's shirt that had a skull on it. So that was like my big thing was I was like, I am wearing a book and it was an outsider shirt, like outsiders by Essie Hinton that had a skull on it. And I got so angry because there was a boy in my class who wore extremely tight t-shirts and mm. he was extremely fit and he is married mm. now. So I feel kind of weird saying this, but like every girl liked him. Like he was every girl's first crush at this school. Mm. And, and I remember being like, if he doesn't get in trouble for wearing something that makes the, like makes girls stumble, why am I getting in trouble for wearing a man's shirt that reaches almost my knees? I'd like to also, I want to wrap this conversation up by pointing out that the woman who primarily and who had these dress code rules um, is no longer in that type of role. And so obviously it's relaxed there, Mm -hmm. but the, the, the people who were essentially in charge of writing and enforcing the dress code, both of their, their daughters have now hit puberty and those standards have completely changed because I think they are now uncomfortable realizing that they were sexualizing girls because now they have to look at, their own daughters and sexualize them. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, and be like, and I, if you wear shorts like this or if you wear jeans with holes in them, yeah. like 
now that's a little too far. Moving on. Um, it's interesting how, how things change when they apply to your own children. Um, so do we want to move into uh, consequences of purity culture that we deal with in our personal lives, in our married lives, in the church? Maybe we should make yeah. this like part two of an episode. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that we should force people to commit to a two-hour podcast episode. That is true. Okay, we can wrap up here. Um, but I want to reiterate just for the sake, again, because I don't want to be accused of being a hateful person. Um, the, tr- the truth and the lie. And the truth, is, and this is something we can unpack more in the next episode. God has a sexual ethic that we are to adhere to, right? Um, purity by sexual purity, if you define it correctly, is not something to avoid or to throw out. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, you can dress in ways that will make people sexualize you. Right? Strippers exist. Yeah. I mean. Um, whether you realize it or not. Whether that puts the responsibility on you or not is another conversation. Yeah. And Christians are called to a standard of modesty, which I want to talk about next podcast because, um, again, because we've run a youth camp, we run into this a lot because modesty looks different day to day than it does um, when you are in the middle of, you know, a shaving cream fight in the middle of a 90 degree Tennessee summer. Um, And then finally, when you reject purity culture, you should not reject the entire Mm -hmm. Christian sexual ethic. Like that is yeah. hopefully if you walk away from this and you think that's what we're doing, probably go back and listen to the beginning no. <laughs> um, right. and listen to it straight through. Like we treasure a good Christian sexual sex, sexual ethic. And we believe that sexuality, whether you're single or married or dating is something to be steward, stewarded and protected mm-hmm. um, and respected and enjoyed. Yeah. I when I referenced Tim Keller again, he, he had, I remember this because I was really invested in seeing it play out moment by moment, but he was having a kind of back and forth on Twitter. And he said, it's not good enough to say that just because you've been hurt by this bad theology, it's not good enough. Um, or to say that other people have been hurt to throw out the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're doing more hurt to other people um, because broken sexuality, whether it's um, you're sexualizing young girls or you are throwing yourself into multiple um, sexual relationships with no concern for yourself or the other person that is both evidence of brokenness within you and within this world and you're you will do harm to yourself and I I think I've I think we call ourselves and our and the people that we're, we run in circles with to accountability for that but um, I think that is I in maybe deconstructing circles like people view the biblical sexual ethic and period culture as the same, same thing. thing. And it's not, and it's yeah. not good enough to just say, well, this hurt me. So I'm getting rid of all of it. Right. Um, any closing thoughts from you, Emily? Um, no, I just, uh, echo what you guys have already said. I mean, yeah, like I, I think it's also important to acknowledge not only do we affirm that Christian sexual ethic that we see laid out in the Bible, but like we are living it to the best of our ability, like mm-hmm. as someone who's married, Clara, someone who's dating, Abby as someone who is single, like we're in all of those stages and, and uh, attempting to best live that out uh, as a means of honoring God and honoring our bodies. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the only thing I would add. 
Awesome. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming with us on this road trip towards our wits end. We had a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you excuse any editing issues that might come up or any microphone issues because we are still pretty new to this. But I had a lot of fun doing this. Um, I always love to talk about um, how women should be not shamed for their bodies. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a topic that all three of us tend to always revert back to. Um, but next time we'll be talking about some of the consequences of purity culture that people grapple with, um, including some of us. And those things include whether um, it's sexual dysfunction in marriage to um, unhealthy sexual expectations from men and women to abuse. Um, we'll be talking a little bit about kind of what's come out with um, the Canacook situation recently. Mm-hmm. If you've not read that article by David and Nancy French, highly recommend it. Um, and then also um, the sexual prosperity gospel, which is essentially if I follow these rules, I'm going to have a great sex life. And then we'll also be talking kind of about solutions um, that have been presented to combating these very unhealthy ideas that have permeated the church. But mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you've made it this far um, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye guys. Bye.